0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen, here in Rip City? This is the Believe in Blazer podcast presented by Bet Online. I am your host, Stephen Vaughn. I am with my co-host, Torrey Jones. Catch me on Twitter at Stephen underscore VON. Catch Torrey at Tory Jones, YT. Torrey, what is going on, my brother? How you
0: doing, man? I'm doing good. Played some basketball tonight drop 17 assists in a rec league game. I throw a dime, Steven. How are you?
1: That's that's pretty that's pretty braggy there. I will say though, I think people <laughs> will probably be entertained by our pre-show our pre-show conversation that we were just having. We were just talking about our games and uh I was just going off about how I've never had a bad game, so, you know. There's no proof though. There's no proof. There's no proof I didn't
0: Somehow you can't find the game logs, coincidentally, and you know I'm not going to waste my time trying to look up your game logs from, like, 1991 or whenever you played college ball. So,
1: (laughs) If someone can go through on Google and find my old box scores from Concordia University (laughs) 2008-2009 and Clackamas Community College from 06-07, please do it and send it to me. I would love to see those box scores. I've been looking for years. I'm looking for years, Tori. I can't find it.
0: This dude wants to relive his college days. I mean, look at that jersey <laughs> in the background, man. This dude is uh, young at heart right now. It's pretty
1: sick, though. I, I mean, I could swap it out with my Hakeem Olajuwon jersey. Would that be better?
0: Nah, nah. Your jersey is more iconic anyways. That's
1: damn right. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Blazers, Tori. I've been at the last few games, which is has which been real cool. Uh, you know, being having an 8-year-old, and he's really into basketball. Uh, I was at the Lakers game, at the Spurs game. But I will say, that Laker game... It was um, it was a little little weird. I didn't I didn't like it. I didn't like the the uh, the comeback that the Lakers had. But I will say, if if you wanted to make some money off of that, you could have live bet the Lakers at a pretty big price over our, our players that bet online. Because you know you know you know this, story. Bet online, number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything we got the playoffs in the NFL. I know Tori's really hot on the Niners. Thinks Brock Purdy's gonna do it. I don't know about that, man. But you can find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news game trends, bet online with all the live betting options which you could have won a lot of money with the Lakers in that one free contest live scores for almost any sport or imaginable bet online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events head to the website today use your mobile device do it all to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit make sure to use promo code believe b l e a v to receive your rewards bet online where the game starts and i will say uh i had i bet the game before i went i did have lakers plus 6 I thought it was going to be a big loser at halftime, but uh, I was sad that I won that bet. I wanted, to, I wanted to lose that one.
0: Yeah, it would be nice if the Blazers could win some games, man. Did you know? That right now, if the Blazers just didn't choke against LA teams this year, because, of course, they choked a 19-point second half lead to the Clippers uh, back in November-ish. It was on national TV to make it even more embarrassing. And then, of course, they choked that 25-point halftime lead against the Lakers. If they just held on to those games at home and didn't choke those enormous leads... They would be sixth in the West right now. They wouldn't even be a playing team. They'd be a playoff team. That's how close everything is in the West right now, and that's why those choke jobs are so frustrating because there's been so many games that the Blazers could have taken care of business in. They've been so awful, but they're still right there on the doorstep.
1: I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, you, are the Toronto Raptors trying this season?
0: Um, the Toronto Raptors have a lot of problems. I did a whole trade deadline I, I just wanted I just want to know are them. they
1: are they trying are they trying to make the playoffs? I need you to answer yes or no. I
0: think they um I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they will, but I don't think they're selling. Okay, Steven. I think they're hanging on to OG. I think they're hanging on to Siakam. I think Gary Trent Jr. will get traded and it's 50-50 on Fred VanVleet.
1: Okay, with having said that, then I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I'll say they're trying. You say the Blazers are so close to you know being the home home court advantage. They're also the third worst team that is trying in the NBA. The third, tied with the or the right had right the Raptors and the Lakers. They're right behind them, and then it's the Blazers. Worst record of teams that are actually trying to win basketball games. That's how close they are to the bottom
0: as well. So you
1: forgot to put in that part.
0: Yeah. Well, basically, um, you know, they are one or two wins away from getting out of that position, Steven. So, if they figure it out, which is a big if, they can be fine. Everything can be okay. I know it feels like the sky is falling. I know, um, you know, that Lakers loss was tough, and Blazer fans are absolutely losing their minds right now. Um, But, as I've preached all season, the rest of the league is very mediocre. The Blazers are still only three games below 500. They are three and a half games out of the fourth seed. Like, they can go on a run if they figure things out, but uh, at this point, it's hard to have confidence in them figuring it out. So we'll see. I like that it's still a chance, and it could still be a season that's successful in the regular season somehow. Because in a normal year, this team is like seven games out of sixth right now, right? Um, and, and it's just destined to be another season where you're seventh seed, eight seed playing. But at this point, everything's still so up in the air that it doesn't have to be a bad season. They just gotta figure things out.
1: Speaking of uh, Blazer fans going crazy about the Lakers loss, I got a beef with the La- with Blazer fans here about that Laker game. Real quick, Tori, let me rant here. Uh, so I was at the game. I was with my son. He's eight. He likes LeBron, which is cool. Like he's a LeBron guy. He's young. He likes Space Jam. I don't know why he does, but he does. Uh, so he was excited to go see LeBron. I had never seen LeBron in person, so I was really excited to see him as well. LeBron comes out in that game and starts dominating at the start of the game. It was 18 to four Lakers. The Laker fans were so loud, and I look around. There had to have been 35 to 40 percent Laker fans. I mean, Blazer fans, what are you doing? Like, why? Are, why are you guys getting rid of the tickets? I mean, we're driving to the game. My son's like, look at those Lakers jerseys. There's more Lakers jerseys. Look at those. Who's that? Who's that? Anthony Davis, LeBron. I mean, come on, Blazer fans, we gotta be better than that. I, I, I'm not saying that it would have helped the team, but it's just a bad look, man. Bad
0: look. Yeah, it's not good, but I saw tickets, like, the cheapest tickets were going for, like, $45, $50. Bucks. So, um, you know, they're cashing out on a mediocre Blazer team right now. I oh, can't really okay, blame okay. them. And, and they didn't have to experience what you had to experience in person, which was basically the equivalent of pulling teeth watching the Blazers choke that 25-point lead. So, in the end, actually, I think that was maybe a smart decision to, A, Get get a good payday for those tickets and then be not have to experience that. But it does suck seeing Lakers fans in there. If the Blazers play the Lakers in the playoffs, it better not be like that. Better not be like that. Playing, playing, playoff, whatever. Just hypothetically, if they face each other in a game that is is a playoff game or a playing game, Blazer fans better show out. Because uh this is that's not good in a in a more meaningful game.
1: Yeah, no, it was it was cool, though, to see my son at eight years old. Like, he likes LeBron, and you could tell he was a fan of the Lakers and LeBron at the start, and by halftime, he hated the Lakers. Like, you could <laughs> tell, like, the the Blazer fandom just went in his brain. He's like, I'm a Blazer fan. Like, I hate the Lakers now, and by the end of the game, he was all about the Blazers and hated the Lakers. So, like, I still kind of like LeBron, but I just hate the Lakers, so I felt good. Good dad. Moment
0: well, uh, there. that's awesome. Okay, that's – yeah, if I had a son – that's how it would have to be. That's how I'd have to raise him. So you've done a good job as a parent.
1: Yeah. I don't want to be too bossy, but you know, he's got to learn from his mistakes. But, uh, speaking <laughs> of, uh, mistakes, Tori, and I think this is a mistake. I think we're kind of on the same side on this, but blazer fans have been a little torn about Anthony Simons. Now, in his defense, he shot the ball really well against the Lakers and the Spurs. But before that, the 13 games before those last two games, he had been shooting 31% from three-point range, really been struggling uh, shooting the basketball, which is, of course, is what he is good at. And then there was talks, well, should the Blazers be looking to trade Anthony Simons? Should they be building around him? Um Do you want to go first on this do you want me to go on what I think? Because I do think it's interesting. I I kind of know your take on this. So let's, I'll have you go first. Just what's your thoughts about Anthony Simons and if the Blazers should be exploring any type of trade options with him?
0: Well, let me start with this, okay? As Blazer fans, we should know that you can't just base three-point shooting off of purely percentage. Uh, Anthony Simons, as of this recording, is shooting 37.7% from three on the season, but he's shooting almost 10 threes a game, which is enormous volume. And a lot of those threes are extremely difficult threes. There's metrics out there that show shot quality and that sort of thing. And, like, he's in the bottom 3% in terms of, like, quality of three-point looks. And a lot of that is due to playing with a bench lineup that, frankly, just hasn't been that good. It's been better lately with some guys back, but it hasn't been that good. So his, the fact that he's shooting 38% from three this year is actually extremely impressive. He went on a bit of a slump there, but people tend to overreact to slumps uh, and he's broken out of it the last two games, um, he's been a, he's been one of the top 10 shooters in the league, in my opinion, uh, but that's, you know, you gotta look at more than the three-point percentage, Dame shoots a bunch of difficult threes, stretches the floor a ton, gets a ton of them off, shooting 38% on those types of shots is more impressive than a guy who only shoots wide open threes and shoots them at 40%, right, so, Simons' shooting has been fine in the last, like, 12 to 13 games or so. He's shooting, like, 62% from two. Uh, that's a rough estimate, but he's been finishing the ball better and uh, still shooting 90% from the free throw line. I don't really understand all the hate, Steven.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think with Anthony Simonson, I, you know, I wouldn't say that I've been a hater on him, but uh, he definitely hasn't been my favorite player for the Blazers this year. I, you know, I think you should obviously, like, in theory – explore all types of trades with all types of players, but I don't think that they should necessarily put him on the trade block. And I don't think that they are. I don't, I don't think, I think there's about a 0% chance that the trailblazers are even looking to deal Anthony Simons. I would be very shocked um, if he were to be traded this season because he is so young, right? 23 years old. You mentioned all the shooting stats, like he should in theory get better. And I do think this tour, I think this brings up another point, just a interesting talking point of, are the blazers doing everything they can to build a championship contender around Damian Lillard. Now I think for me, like Damon and Ant, good players by themselves, not necessarily the best playing off one another, right? Like there's better fits for sure in the backcourt with Damian Lillard. So if the blazers were a hundred percent committed to that, they would be looking to trade Anthony Simons. They wouldn't have drafted shade of They would have traded for a veteran player and tried to get another fit next
0: to him. Here's what I would say to that. Um, that's, If they have the ability to build a championship contender
1: that, well, that's my point is that I I don't think that the Blazers front office think that they have a chance of the championship with Damian Lillard. And so what I think they're doing is they talk about how they're doing this, you know, quote unquote, like rebuild on the rock, like on the run, basically like Mm. the, the, the soft rebuild. Is that what everyone was saying? The soft rebuild, something like that. And I don't think that's true. I think they're building for the future. And I think they're building for around Anthony Simons around uh Shaden sharp around Jeremy Grant. And if they were really going for it, they would look to trade an Amphrey Simons and a Shaden sharp to bring in more veterans that fit next to Damian Lillard. And I don't think they're doing that. I think they're going to let it play out with Dame as long as they can. He has that contract. He has the money. And I think it's a good, uh, it's good optics to bring Damian Lillard back all the time and have him be the man in Portland. Cause he is so beloved and he's so good. And you know, he's maybe the best player of all time in franchise history, but I don't think they're necessarily doing it to win a championship with Dame. I think they really are trying to think of down the road in the future with Anthony Simons as that go-to guy rather than Damian Lillard. Do you think that theory is uh, has any valid validity to it?
0: I mean, I can see why somebody would have that theory. I just don't subscribe to that theory. I think it's more of a situation of you need top-end talent in this league, especially offensively. You need multiple guys to create shots. I don't agree with the whole Damon, and, S- and Ant are too redundant theory. You need a guy to take pressure off a Dame when defenses load up on him. And Anthony Simons, I think, is better playing off the ball than CJ McCollum ever was. He's a great shooter, but it's defensively. It's defensively defensively, I think Anthony Simons is better than CJ was. He's not great. He's inconsistent. He has really bad moments and then some good moments. I think Anthony Simons is a little bit below average. There's other defensive issues on this team that plagued this team, and they've hovered close to average for a good part of this season defensively. So I would rather see this team fix those issues. Okay, But as far as your theory, um, I don't think it's about... Having that guy when Damian Lillard is gone, I think it's about if you trade Anthony Simons and Shaden Sharp and this year little hypothetically for OG Ananobi, which was a potential trade this past offseason, you have no depth there you'd have to give up a future first-round pick because that's what Toronto wanted on top of that. You have to give up a lot to get those better-fit players that the Blazers should hypothetically be going after. OG Ananobi is the perfect example of that, is a good perimeter defender and a guy that can knock down threes and do a little bit off the dribble at the small forward position. You gotta give up a ton. And if you give up a ton, sure, you got that guy who's a better fit, but I don't think this team would be better offensively if they made that trade. Yes, they would be better defensively, but... I actually think the offense would take a bit of a hit. Because Anthony Simons is a better offensive player than OG Ananobi. Clearly a better offensive player. And you need a guy that can create shots with that bench unit that doesn't have anyone who can create shots. And Anthony Simons is that guy getting staggered with that unit. So if you trade these assets for OG Ananobi on top of another future first and potentially, you know, it's hard to trade future first right now because of the first they owe Chicago. You're basically going all in on a... Good starting lineup, I guess, but a lineup of, what, Dame, GP2, OGN, Nobi, Jeremy Grant, and Yusuf Nurkic? Then what do you have off the bench?
1: Exactly what they have right now. Nothing.
0: They'd have less than nothing. My whole thing, my whole thing, is if they were turning down opportunities to build a championship contender to keep Anthony Simons, then I would probably agree with that theory. I just don't think they're turning down opportunities to become a championship contender because I don't think those opportunities are truly there. Do you, two things here real quick. The, the, the
1: only thing about the fit with Dame and Ant, I agree with you. Like Ant is a better defender than CJ McCollum ever was. Um, but when you have Damian Lillard, who is a below average defender and who you rely so much offensively on, like you don't, you don't want him to go out and have to be a stopper. Like you need a guy in the backcourt that can stop guys and be a really good defender. I think you almost need like a, an above average defender at the least to be a championship contender. That's why I say the fit with Dame and Ant isn't great, and that that's the only reason why I think offensively they play off each other really well. Um, so, uh, speaking of that, like you know, we brought this up on the Pulse on seven fifty the game. Me and Peter, um, in theory, let's just say you know there'd have to be other pieces involved. Would you be interested ever in a trade involving OG and Adobe an for Anthony Simons as the main packages?
0: I just think OG Ananobi at this point is what he is, which is a really good player. But the the thing supposedly with OG Ananobi is he wants a bigger role than he has in Toronto, where he's basically the second guy. But you got Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. that some nights are the second guy, right? They take up a big portion of the offense and obviously Siakam's the number one there. I don't know if OG Ananobi would be happy. I heard a rumor today that he wants out of Toronto. I'm not sure... Portland could provide that role for him. So that's the thing. You talk about all these fit players, but normally the really good fit players, you have some of those guys that want bigger roles. And you saw Jeremy Grant leave Denver off of Western Conference Finals to go to Detroit. A lot of times those guys bring issues that the fan base doesn't see coming. So I would not entertain Anthony Simons for OG and Obi right now. Yes, it's a better fit, but it doesn't make the team more talented. And if you are a super talented team, Then you get to the point where it's like, okay, well, we have all this talent. We just need to make sure it fits. Then we contend. I don't think Portland has enough talent to be in that mindset of we have to worry about fit because we have the talent. They don't have enough of that talent. So if you trade Anthony Simons for OG and Obi right now, um, I could see Anthony Simons turning into like a. 26 and 6 guy and being phenomenal, a true all-star for years. And OG Ananobi is like a what he is right now. A really good defensive player, a guy who can average 18 19 points per game in his best season, but not somebody with that level of impact of an impact as a true star. So that's why I wouldn't consider it.
1: That is definitely fair. Uh, okay, last thing with Anthony Simons, then I um uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna write down my answer. Because I don't want to think people are, like, we're just copying each other. And me, as an Anthony Simons hater, I feel like people aren't going to believe my answer. But put a percentage on uh, the percent that you think Anthony Simons gets traded before the trade deadline. Because a lot of people are panicking right now, Tori. Like I said, they are one of the worst teams uh, that are actually trying in the NBA. What is the percentage Anthony Simons is traded from the Portland Trailblazers before the trade deadline?
0: Do you want me to write it down? No, do you I say it? I'm right. I'll say it. Okay, I'll hold I, I up. wrote it down. I wrote okay. it down. Okay. This is this is the percentage chance that I think he gets traded. Okay. Two percent. One percent? Not yeah. <laughs> I don't think, <laughs> I felt think he's, he's traded like two percent was a little high. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I I don't think he's traded at all. I think he's um like I said. I I I I like Anthony Simons. I think he'd be a really good player. I do think they are building for the future with him. Um, as the main guy and I think that's probably the right move because like you said the top end talent just
0: isn't there with Portland it's just a tough decision because I do think this organization needs to choose a bit more of a direction but that direction has to bear fruit so I don't know if it's the right move to try and truly go all in because I don't think an all-in move necessarily gets there I think I also think that the west is wide open enough that If everything breaks right and you get hot, maybe you could go on a run. I'm not sure. Yes, hypothetically, if you made the team better, this team would be up there. But I don't know, man. I just don't see a trade out there where this team takes a huge leap um, talent-wise. I don't think it's a buyer's market, Steven. It's a buyer's market this year. There's not many players being sold. You're going to have to overpay for anybody you get. So it's not going to be an easy trade to make for anyone. What are you saying, Alex Burks? Not worth uh, first round picks. <laughs> he might be worth <laughs> one first to the right team, but uh, yeah. The problem is Portland doesn't have future firsts. Well,
1: and you're right. The problem is that Portland, they're stuck in no man's land, right? Like the starting lineup is too good to fully tank, right? But like they're not good enough necessarily to compete and be the one seed or the top or even a top four seed probably in the Western Conference. Like they're just not that good. So like one trade probably doesn't push them up to there. But also at the same time, like you're going to have to make numerous trades to really tank the season. So that's why I think like I really think Portland is just like we're going to ride it out with Dame and we're going to build the future with uh, Anthony Simons, Shane Sharp, probably Jeremy Grant because he's still young enough as well as like, a good piece and go from there.
0: When you have, though, three guys offensively that, you know, can go off at a high level like Grant, Ant and Dame. I feel like you give yourself a chance in any playoff game. Sure, the defense might be a struggle, but if you got three guys of that caliber offensively that can take over games that high level, you give yourselves a chance of at least outscoring the other team. And really, that's all it comes down to. You got to put more points on the scoreboard. So um, if we if the Blazers rolled into a first-round matchup against Memphis, right now they are the arguably the best defense in the league, I could see... Yeah, Dylan Brooks is probably gonna guard Dame, but then who guards Anthony Simons? Who guards Jeremy Grant? Jaron Jackson Jr. on Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Jaron Jackson Jr.'s been a phenomenal defender this year, but Grant is talented enough to still have a good game against him. And Jaron Jackson Jr.'s strength is protecting the rim. So you got a guy that can maybe pull him out of the paint. That's the thing. When you present problems for opposing defenses and you got guys that can light up the scoreboard, you do give yourself a puncher's chance at winning playoff games against anyone and I think that might end up being the best strategy is just making sure you got enough offensive talent on this team and then trying to piece together some sort of defense around that and then giving it your all
1: yeah it's definitely the best strategy for this year at least right like I think I think ultimately the problem like win a championship you can't have that you need to have a good defense but we saw it a couple years ago when they made the Western Conference Finals you, don't, you know, you can get to the Western Conference Finals even with a poor defense. And I think I think you're right like if things break the right way, Portland would have a chance to do that. I don't think that they'd go into this season, but like you're right. Like things could things could break that way. Um so I think that is the right choice uh this year. All right, next guy I do want to talk about though. Uh another guy who people seem to either really like him or just hate him so much they want to bench him and trade him. I'm more of on the side of, like, if they traded him, I wouldn't care because I'm just kind of over him. But uh, Yusuf Nurkic, I want to talk to you about this, Tori. So uh, our good friend, Chad, doing over at Rip City Radio, my former employer. Uh, I, tur- I turn-coded on them. I'm at a better place now, 750 the game. What up? But uh, Chad, he put out a tweet uh, the other day, and I ta- we were talking to him. I was talking to him. He thinks that uh, Drew Eubank should start over – Yusuf Nurkic. Now, he admits Nurk is obviously better, and the Blazers are a better team when Nurkic is out there. But we saw against the Lakers how bad Yusuf Nurkic was and how much he hurt the team. And then it was kind of like, you know what? They sent a message. The next game against the Spurs, awesome. Dominated Jakob Um, and that's a good matchup for him. Like, to bang against a big guy like Jakub. Uh, It was fun to watch. Do you think there's any, like, credence of, like, The Blazers should look to send a message, whether it is to Yusuf Nurkic or even to Josh Hart, right? Like Josh Hart has struggled a little bit with a shot all season long. This year, Little started to play really well. Do you think a benching just to kind of wake somebody up or send them a message is the right move right now? Because we're all looking for moves like to help the Blazers out because they've been struggling so bad. Like there's got to be some type of shakeup. But like, is that the right shakeup?
0: Well, what message are you sending them by doing that?
1: Hey, I don't know, that's just Chad's
0: idea. <laughs> well, I mean that's my question for Chad then. What message are you sending him by benching him? Like what are you trying to get? Do you think, to do you think across that stuff is effective though?
1: Do you think that stuff is effective where it's
0: gonna be, you know, I mean I, if I'm you not, I, if if you got guys that aren't trying, maybe, but I don't think that's the case with Nurk. Well, there's been some there's been some things I've seen
1: on Twitter. Um I forget who sent it out, but don't uh, bring up was Kevin like,
0: O'Connor's
1: two, was it? two I, clips against about,
0: the Lakers. Yeah. Are you, you know what I'm talking about where he hustles on a closeout and jumps at a pump fake. And apparently that's low energy, but then the next clip, he helps on somebody who got beat off the dribble. And then his guy gets a dunk because he had to help and somehow that's no energy. What?
1: (laughs) And then also, uh, Zach Lowe on his podcast with Bobby Marks, they are talking about Nurk. Um, and they basically said like, he's been really bad this year uh here's the thing okay steven let me just go go i gotta go Go i gotta go go i gotta i gotta go off off.
0: these national guys do you think they watch um you know every blazer game No, they don't watch every Blazer game. They can't watch every NBA game. A lot of these national guys, I would bet you, parrot what they hear from different fan bases to fill in the gaps of their own observations, which can't be as constant as me or as you when we watch the team night in, night out. And unfortunately, a lot of the local media... For whatever reason, a lot of the people that cover the team seem to have been tricked by our center situation this year, in my opinion. And you have plays where it's like Nurkic will rotate over and help on a dribble drive. Because Portland, by the way, gives up the most... Shots at the rim in the league because they give up too many dribble drives and they have a lot of guys that aren't good enough getting through screens. Most notably, Jeremy Grant, who I can't stand how he gets through screens. He's terrible in that regard. Uh, in my this opinion. goes back to my point, though, Day, or uh, Tori, They need a uh, better
1: defender around Dame, but go off.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, stop putting Jeremy Grant on pick and roll dominant guards. But my that, point That's is, true. Is, that's true. Is, is Nurk has to help so much... The fact that he doesn't foul out more, he's only fouled out twice this year, the fact that he hasn't fouled out more with how much he has to defend at the rim, how much he has to help guys giving up dribble drives is actually impressive. People give him crap for his fouling, but he has to deal with so much at the rim, more than maybe any other starting center in the league. The fact that he hasn't fouled out more this season is a testament to him. But he'll have plays where he hustles and like jumps on a closeout, and it's, you know, oh, bad play, you overextended on the closeout. But guess what? Every single player on this Blazers roster does that. Every single player. But when he does it, supposedly it's low energy, quote unquote. When Drew Eubanks does it, it's, oh, look how he hustled out there and ran him off the three-point line, right? And then when Nurkic helps off his guy, and his guy gets a dump-off pass and scores, and has 22 points, people say, oh, look, the opposing center had 22 points. That means Yusuf Nurkic had a bad game. They're not actually watching enough of this team, in my opinion, or they're mistaken. The whole Nurk narrative is completely blasphemous that he's had a terrible season. He's having the most efficient season of his career, especially from the three-point line. I think he's having the most efficient career of his year from two-point. He's doing a okay job of not fouling defensively, given how much he has to deal with at the rim. He picks up a moving screen or whatever here and there that contributes to his foul troubles, but he's one of the best screen-setting bigs in the league. Um, and defensively, He's not the problem. And I'm baffled as to why people think he's the problem. Because benches will score a ton against our bench unit, but it's not attributed to Drew Eubanks. When they score against Nurkic because you got Dame and Ant giving up a little bit too much dribble drive, but then Josh Hart has bad moments. Jeremy Grant has bad moments. That's the problem is those two guys haven't been consistent enough defensively. It's somehow it's Nurkic's fault defensively when he has to deal with all this stuff. I don't understand it, Stephen. Please, can you explain it to me? Because I am baffled.
1: I can't. I can't. Uh, I. I think again. I think Nurk is a good defender. Like he he gets put in such a bad spot, and the way that they run their defense, they rely so much on him uh, to help play help defense. And I will say this: like Damian Lillard, his strength on defense is when he's one-on-one, right? Like, if he has a guy or a guy one-on-one iso or guard a guy guy in the post, that's when he's pretty solid. Like, he's an above-average defender there. He's not great in the pick and roll. You talk about Jeremy Grant, not great in the pick and roll. And 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 then Nurk, it gets put in a bad spot where because they're so bad in the pick and roll, like, you don't want to run it where Nurk has to come and hedge out. Like, you want to drop so it's a lot easier for them to come over the screen and they can just play behind him. Where if they had a really good aggressive defender that is good in the pick and roll defense... Maybe they could hedge more with Nurk and he wouldn't be put in those type of spots, but instead this happens. And this is something I've noticed like all season long, when there's a big man on the opponents the opponent team who can shoot the ball, like he's going to get wide open threes all game. And that's exactly what happened against the Lakers. Thomas Bryant has four or five threes, but like one was off an inbound. So he hit three, basically like out of pick and rolls. That was just like wide open threes because Nurk has to drop so much because the pick and roll coverage out top is so bad. And it's just, I'm with you. I don't think there's any way that you should start Eubanks over Nurk. Like, Eubanks puts in some cool dunks. I'll agree. Like, they're fun to watch him when he dunks. He has six blocks against the Lakers. It's cool when he gets block shots. But, like, it is wild to th- just to hear all the Nurk hate. And I'm not even a biggest Nurkish fan. Like I, like I said, I don't care if he was traded. I think it would be fine. Like, I think the contract, by the end of his contract, you know, down the road, four years down the road, I don't know how effective he's going to be. But at the same time, like, he is not the problem with the Portland Trail Blazers defense. It's not even close. Like, he is definitely not even in the top five problems for the Blazers defense this year. It is wild.
0: Absolutely. And part of the reason why the Blazers give up so many shots at the rim is because um, they run teams off the three-point line pretty well. Uh, They actually um, give up near league average in terms of uh, three-point percentage. And then they give up the 10th-fewest threes in the league. So they do a decent job of getting out on three-point shots. The problem is when you overextend your closeouts, yes, it takes away a three, but it gives up a drive. So that is part of the problem. It's not necessarily a negative because you're not letting teams uh, do as much from three as this defense has in the past, but it puts a lot of pressure on your center, on your rim protector. But here's the thing. Here's my whole theory as in regards to the energy thing with Eubanks versus Nurkic. Eubanks is more athletic, And therefore, it looks like he's a higher energy player or whatever. Like, sure, okay, he plays with more energy because he's more athletic. But that's not due to Nurkic playing lazy. That's just due to Nurkic being slower. He's a bigger guy. But people attribute it to, oh, look how slow Nurkic is moving. He's lazy. And that drives me crazy. I don't think Eubanks tries any harder than Nurkic. I've seen multiple plays this year where Eubanks has... Not giving great effort. A lot of them are on the glass. (laughs) He's not that great of a rebounder. Doesn't box out numerous times. Doesn't do a lot of the little things. Eubanks will have these super impressive blocks where he's covering ground and whatnot. But I feel like on a lot of those plays eubanks is late to react and he has to make up for it with his athleticism and yes he comes flying across and it'll look super impressive and high energy but i think nurkic is quicker to realize um things on the defensive end and he's to the right spot quicker and then it's something as simple as okay well he's meeting somebody driving at the spot and he's going straight up making them miss a layup or whatever doing his best whereas eubanks is coming from behind trying to block shots and cover a bunch of ground, a lot of times he ends up being late. Um, I just think there's a lot that goes into playing the center spot defensively that's kind of difficult to understand. A lot of positional things, a lot of timing. Uh, You're basically the last line in help defense, and you have certain responsibilities beyond just guarding your guy. And uh, I think Nurkic does a decent job handling them and doesn't get enough credit for it.
1: I think we just where people are describing it wrong, right? Like we're saying high energy and that is definitely not it. I think it's more just like Eubanks is the high light player, right? Like he, he puts up better highlights, right? He gets the block shots. He gets the crowd involved. He'll dunk it, which gets the crowd, which is helpful, right? Like, Momentum is a real thing. And when you're in the building and someone throws down a big time dunk, whether it's Shaden Sharp or Drew Eubanks, it gets the crowd going and that can pick up people's defense. So, like, there is a spot and there is a role for Drew Eubanks on this team as a backup. As a backup, <laughs> exactly. Like, he is a perfect backup center in the fact that he can get the crowd going. And you know he can make some momentum plays, but when you have to rely on him for 25, 30 minutes a night like they did against the Lakers, like you're not gonna win. Like that's just not how it's gonna work. And I think we just need to just clarify it differently. How, so how about that? I think I figured it out, Tori. It's it's not it's not you know high energy. It's the highlight player. That's what Juve is.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I don't think you want him starting because I don't think he's as good of a fit with the starting lineup. Because the main reason is he's not a short role playmaker. I hate watching Drew Eubanks catch the ball in the short roll and then stop and have his feet split and hold the ball above his head and like look around like, what do I do? Who do I pass it to? Like, get stuck, right? It's like if you got guy, if you got defense that trap dame, you got to have a center that can make a basic play out of the short roll. Drew Eubanks, unfortunately, is not that center. Yusuf Nurkic is. And Nurkic's screens are better in the first place, making it harder to trap because it's harder to get through that screen and keep two guys on the ball on a pick and roll. And Dame and Ant get going, given some of the space from Yusuf Nurkic. So, offensively, Nurkic is a better fit. He's been spaced on the floor this year. Um, That's why he's better. You know, I, I, I don't... I don't think it's due to a lack of effort or anything. I don't think you have to send him a message. He was sick recently, had a three-game slump after that. Everybody on this team has had at least a three-game slump at one point or another. I don't think it was due to him um, not trying or not playing with effort. I think it was a slump combined with uh, he was coming back off an illness and... Look at what he did against Jakob Pertl, who had a good game against him earlier in the year, which actually wasn't his fault. It was due to a product of everything else. Um, He dominated him. He played a great game, 25 points in 27 minutes, rebounded, passed, got a couple steals. Like, I don't think you have to send him a message about anything.
1: No, yeah, and I think, uh, you know, go over to our friends at BetOnline, Online and if the Blazers play a big guy who can shoot threes, you take their prop over. I think those are uh those are easy like those are just easy numbers. Like it's just it is what it is. But no, you're right. Like again, Nurk, good player. Uh he gets put in bad spots. It's easy to you know bang on him and say it's his fault when it's not actually his fault. So I think we're on the same page on that one. But uh you know, I just wanted to bring it up because I know I know how much it bothers you. I know I know you're a you're a Nurk lover and uh people don't like that. So I needed you to get that out of there
0: for me. Oh, absolutely. Honestly, man, I've I've been pretty happy lately, even though the team sucks. I think I've, I don't know, I've gotten to the point where I'm not bummed out by this team anymore. I just kind of expect them to do some weird stuff and maybe choke a 20-point lead here or there. And then when it happens, honestly, I can't believe it. I was laughing at the way they collapsed in the second half against the Lakers. I think I'm getting to the point where I'm, you know, the 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 real media. Because doesn't the real media, you know, they're not true fans of the team or whatever isn't that the thing you've said you like um you know since you cover the team you don't like uh, getting too worked up or too into it you know there's some other things there but I think I'm getting to that point where I can handle my emotions watching a game because if I was still as emotionally invested as I was five years ago I still want them to win as bad but if I was still as emotion if I was an emotional roller coaster like I was five years ago with how bad this team is plus me covering them I would be destroyed right now, so, um, hate nur- n- doesn't even make me mad anymore, I expect it, I just think it's silly.
1: No, it's a, it's a, it's a thing, I mean, I, you know, with me having working for the team, it's a little different, I think that people just covered the team, like, I understand if you cover the team, like, it's your job, so you don't want to be, like, fully attached to it, and you don't want to be emotional, like, when you're talking to the players and stuff, but, like, you know, I worked for the team like it was literally my job to try to like the scout and like help him out. So it's like I just tried not to you know get too emotional about it. It's just hard to turn that off, especially once they fired you. You know, they laid me off, so it's like yeah, eh, I got a little hate in my heart for him. But I do want to see him win all the time. I will say this though, Tori, uh, twenty two and twenty five on the season, they're ten and ten on te- against teams that are over five hundred, twelve and fifteen against teams below five hundred. It's not even necessarily the yeah, it's not necessarily that they're losing to the good teams it's the teams that they're supposed to be. They just haven't beat yet so far. So I, I I'm with you. Like there should be some positivity still coming out of this team and there's still a chance. Um, You know, I, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I still think they're outside the playoffs by the end of the year, but I do think that there is some hope uh, at the end of the rainbow.
0: I still think they get a seventh or an eighth seed. I have them as an eighth seed before the season. I still stand by that. I think that, Dame will find a way. You know, Dame always finds a way. When does Dame play yep. the majority of a season and they miss the playoffs, right? Like, I I can't believe I'm saying this, but I kind of expect a run at some point. I don't know when it's gonna come. Because and it I'm happens every year. It. It yeah, happens it happens year, all right? the time. This has always been Dame's teams have always been a second half of the year team. And uh, we've had seasons where they've struggled and then like won 13 in a row and gotten a three seed back in 2019. I mean, if this team wins 13 in a row, they're getting home court advantage. You know, like yeah. Yeah, that's no that's how mediocre the rest of the West been. I mean, you look at the team that's fourth right now, and it's uh, it's the New Orleans Pelicans. They are four games above 500. They're 26 and 22. That is the worst record for a four seed that I've seen in either conference at this point in the season. So it's still a chance. Kings are third. The Kings are freaking third. If we get a six the seed, I'm the Blazers. if we can get, get a six seed, I would pick the Blazers in a series against the Kings.
1: Oh, I think I might too. Uh, I, every team is going to be wanting to play the Kings in the playoffs. That's that's a for
0: sure. Like, why are they even there? They don't belong there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is weird to even say it. I will say. One last topic, uh, before we go, Tori. Okay. Trade season is kind of upon us, right? Rui Hachimura kind of kicked it off. Uh going to the Lakers for what, three second round picks and Kendrick none. Um this isn't even a topic about should the Blazers have traded for him. I-, I think we all can agree, like, yeah, that would be great if the Blazers could have traded for Rui Hachimura and they didn't. They did could have they could have.
0: They could have given up two second-round picks for him and not given up anything else. But it would have put him in the tax, and Jody does not want to pay the tax for Rui Hachimura. Right.
1: I. Uh, yes. Yeah, I wasn't even going to say anything, but you said it. No, so nah, I'll, break, I'll break it. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, I think we all agree it would have been a great fit with here in Portland. But I do want to put it on the Blazers' side. So before we hear some more trade targets... Uh, it is officially trade season, so there will be some, you know, rumors out there of who's going to be available. I, I want to play the same game we played with Anthony Simons. I want you to put a percent on some of the Blazers on how much you think. what percentage you think they'll be traded okay. by the trade deadline? All right. Start with. Uh, so we start with Simons. Let's go with Yusuf Nurkic. What, what, what do you think the percentage of the Yusuf Nurkic is not on the Blazers by the end of the trade deadline?
0: Oh, I want you to answer this first, Steven. I know you're the question. You want asker. me I answer want first? You to, yes.
1: I'll I'll answer first. I think it's a uh, – I'm going to say a little higher than Anfrey Simons, but I think it's about a 5% chance. I think there's really no chance that they'll trade Yusuf Nurkic. I I think – I don't know what the market is for him right now because I think he can help a lot of teams. But when you look at the top teams, are they really lacking like the center that isn't necessarily athletic? I don't think that they are. So I think for Nurk, it's almost like the best fit is here in Portland. So I don't think they trade him.
0: I think there's a 10% chance. I think it actually might be slightly higher, but it's not high. Uh, In the weirdest scenario I can see, I could see this front office and ownership being like, okay, we want these couple of players, but we'd have to go into the tax for them, and we have to trade salary out there. Andrew Eubanks has been good this year. And uh, yeah, so we're going to send Nurkic it, no. somewhere, maybe get a first for him if possible, and then try and flip that first for our own first back from Chicago. Like, I could see this front office doing some like weird, quote unquote, creative stuff that doesn't end up being too good with Nurkic going somewhere. Isn't it more likely they trade Eubanks for like a second round pick? Here's the thing about Drew Eubanks because he. It was. It, it's like a weird rule with his re-signing this past off season. He actually has a no-trade clause. Oh,
1: interesting. Well, that has to do with like bird captain.
0: rights and re-signing on a one-year contract or, or something. Because he yeah. can't.
1: Because he came in at the middle of the year. Right.
0: It, it has to do with like his free agency status last year, and then the fact that he resigned a one-year deal. I don't know. My co-host Derek Brandon, believes his surprise could uh could explain it to you beautifully, but I just rely on him to explain it. But basically, all I know is he has a. He has a no trade clause.
1: Yeah, I rely on you, who relies on Eric. So it's like a yeah. big.
0: Uh, I mean, know. I, I know my own stuff. I'm just not as well versed in all the weirdness of the CBA because there's a lot of it. So that's one of the things is like you can end up with no trade clauses for random players like Eubanks.
1: <laughs> I don't blame you for not knowing the entire thing word for word like Eric does. It's good for him though. Yeah, I will say that's so it's phenomenal. a good skill to have. It's a good skill to have. I mean, I I just don't want it, but he can have it. Um, okay, so next player. <laughs> Uh Keon Johnson. What's the percentage he's traded by the trade deadline? Because I think he's a guy, Tori, that uh you know, we talk about any young guy with value. I don't think he has a lot of value, but could there be one team that thinks maybe he has a little value and we'll make a trade for him, trade a veteran that we don't need anymore? What's the percentage Keon Johnson gets traded by the trade deadline?
0: Huh. Stumped you on this one.
1: I'll give it. I'll give you a shot. I'll go first again. Okay. I think. I think there's a twenty five percent chance. I think there's a team that may look at this guy and say, you know what, why not? Because we've seen these type of trades before, where a veteran who's not very good, like a, you know, a guy that you can just play, but it's not going to be a high high quality player. But at least they get a young player back in exchange. And Keon Johnson has shown a flash here or there of nice plays. And when you're a bad team. They just started loading guys for the contract to get a young player involved just in case they hit as a role player. So I do think there's a chance that a guy like Keon Johnson finds a new home and the Blazers can bring in some bad backup player that you know, is just better than what they have. So I think it's about
0: 25%. I think it's 50%. Oh, hi! Because yeah. I think there's a lot of players in the – like five to six million range maybe not a lot of players but there's a few players in the five to six million dollar range that i think portland's interested in and in order to bring in a player with that salary and stay out of the tax you'd have to trade keon johnson plus justice winslow and then the problem is you have to sign sign somebody after that to a prorated contract it's going to be less than the minimum so it's iffy on whether or not they could stay under the tax in such a sc- scenario but um i could easily see them trading justice winslow and keon johnson to try and bring back a player making five to six million dollars in that range um maybe a cam johnson or pj washington from charlotte rui hatchamura kind of fitted into that mold before he was traded uh, the thing is, you'd have to give up other assets in order to get either one of those guys. So, what else do you give up? How do you deal with the future pick owed to Chicago? Um, but I would say fifty percent for that reason.
1: So, do you think do you think Justice Winslow is about it at a fifty percent then too? I don't know. I feel like this because you kind of have to pair them together, right?
0: Yeah, for the most part. But um, like, there's some other smaller contract guys that you can maybe bring in. I'd say Winslow like forty percent, forty five percent. Like, just a shade yeah. below Keon. I think this organization right. likes justice too much.
1: Yeah, we don't have to go too deep into
0: just the wins, though. I don't <laughs> yeah. think he <you> deserves <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, okay, two more players.
1: Nasir Little. He's starting to play a little bit better lately. Um, I don't think the Blazers want to trade him. I think it's a very low percentage. I'd put it at about 15%, 20%, maybe on the high. Uh, I don't think the Blazers want to trade this guy. I think they want to. I talked about building for the future and building the plans. I think Nasir Little is part of that future that they want to build with and Shane Sharp, Jeremy Grant, and Nasir Little be a part of that, whether that's off the bench or even in the starting lineup. Uh, so I think he's a guy they want to hold on to for the future. Uh, Tori, Nasir Little, percentage
0: he's traded at the trade deadline. 17%. <laughs> so between 15 and 20 yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah 17%. Yeah. Um, it would be dumb to trade Nasir Little right now because his potential upside, Stephen, is greater than his trade value. His potential upside to the Blazers is greater than what the Blazers could get back for him. And at this point, the Blazers need guys with upside because the only way you're going to get anywhere is if you fulfill some of the upside. Not saying that's likely or anything, but you need Nasir Little to become the player that he can become and stay healthy for this team to go anywhere because you're probably not going to find that player on the trade market or at least find that player for the assets you're willing to give up he's on in a contract extension where he's seven million dollars a year he has that two-way potential he's shot the three ball well since coming back he's supposedly healthier than he was early in the season when he came back off that court issue which takes some time to come back from uh and he's been good and he has had some really good on-ball moments in his career, off-ball, a little bit more inconsistent, but he has the physical tools to be a really good defensive player as well. You don't give up on that for what you could get back for him right now, because right now, to another team, he's just a guy who hasn't played a whole lot because he's had a lot of injuries and statistically hasn't shown anything consistently yet, especially in a high rule. So, I'm not sure you could get back a first for him. You might be able to, but you're getting back what a first and you'd hope with a later first to get a prospect like Nasir Little especially on the contract that he's at that's developed enough to at least help the team because most of the time with a mid to late first you're bringing in a guy who's probably not going to help the team right away so trading Nasir Little right now would be a mistake the only way it would make sense is if he's like a salary matching piece and you're getting back a really really good player that is at least at the level that Nasir Little could potentially reach one day.
1: Yeah, it'd have to be like a legitimate starter. Like, you look at him, you're like, okay, this guy is a legitimate starter in the NBA. And I agree with you, like, Nasir Little, it's all potential right now. Um, He hasn't done anything on the court to be like, oh yeah, he's even deserving of this contract. But it's all potential, and you see the flashes that he has. Uh, so I agree with you pretty much 100% on that. I, I don't see them trading him Um, because I just don't know that the value is quite there. And it, it's all potential. Like, you look at good teams in the NBA, they always have guys that are 22, he's going to turn 23 in February. Like, they have these young guys on good contracts, and that's how they become really good teams, is these guys turn into really good players, whether it's off the bench or in the starting lineup, become good role players. And uh, I think the Blazers are hoping to see a little turns into that. Again, all potential. He's shown flashes, but uh, I don't think you want to trade him quite yet. Last guy, before we uh, wrap up the pod here, and I think this is the, uh, the biggest percentage for me, it's by far the biggest percentage for me, and that's Josh Hart. Josh Hart, of course, uh, he'll be a free agent at the end of the season. And uh, do you want to go first or you want me to go first, Tori? I'll go first on this one then. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll put Josh Hart at 50%. And here's my reasoning for 50% for Josh Hart. The Blazers, as we've talked about before, they are under the tax line, right? So they don't have to make a move to get under the tax line. And I think getting under that tax line is very important to them. So I can see a scenario where the Blazers are out looking for trades, as they always say they are. Even when Neil O'Shea was here, he was always like, oh, I was involved in that trade. I was involved in this trade. We were talking. We were talking. I could see that happen again with Joe Cronin, where he said, oh, we're talking with everybody. Nothing came to fruition. And the Blazers basically stay intact with how they are right now. I could also see where Josh Hart is the obvious guy to trade, and the teams are going to want him, and they do flip him for something. So I really put it at a coin flip chance that the Blazers do absolutely nothing at the trade deadline. And they stay attacked as they are right now. But I could also see where they trade Josh Hart. He's the most likely guy. So that's why I put it at exactly 50%. It's literally a coin flip. I just don't know what the Blazers is
0: going to do. Yeah, I mean, if you lump in, like, the Winslow-Keon package, I think there's, like, an 80% chance that they get traded or Josh Hart gets traded. As far as Josh Hart himself, my, my head says it should be 50%. My gut is saying 70%. I don't think there should be a 70% chance he gets traded, but I think this organization has some players they like that... They don't want to go into the tax for and you got to trade out salary for something and then you got the potential free agency coming up with Josh Hart and they're going to trade him somewhere for an asset and then use that asset in order to get other guys and they're going to justify it like that with Nasir Little becoming the starting three that is what my gut says happens at the trade deadline and um I'm just not thrilled at the idea because I think Josh Hart would be a perfect bench player for this team. He can play multiple positions, multiple He roles. doesn't want to come off the bench, Tori. He wants to be a starter. I don't think that's true. I think he'd be fine with a bench role. He said before the season he wants to start. Of course, everybody wants to start, but would you be fine that's with a bench saying, role? I'm like- saying. If I'm on a basketball team, I want to freaking start. If I'm playing D1, it doesn't matter that I'd be the worst player on the D1 team. If I'm playing D1, I want to start. But if you give me a bench role, I'm okay with it. Like, that's the thing. He doesn't have to want to come off the bench. He just has to be okay with it and be willing to compete. And we know Josh Hart is a true competitor. We hear the stories about him getting mad and pick up games when they're losing and, like, diving on the floor for loose balls. Like, we know that dude's going to compete more than anybody else on this team. So you put him in a bench role, I think he handles it fine. You're probably right.
1: I just, you know, I'm trying to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Do you buy my theory though, that since the Blazers are below the tax line, that there's a chance they don't even make a move and they they just keep this entire roster
0: intact uh, after the trade deadline? There is a chance. I'd be disgusted with that, but there is a chance. Um, I just, my gut feeling. I want your prediction after I give mine. My prediction is they trade Josh Hart. And it's a terrible trade deadline. They trade Josh Hart in a three-team deal, and they get back like a uh, Cam Reddish and in Isaiah Hartenstein or something like that. <laughs> like that. That's and I I like Hartenstein, but basically the problem the problem with this team right now, Stephen, is how many um, high-level, reliable rotation players do you have? Um, you have, in my opinion, five at worst, seven at most. And the seven would be, the five for sure is Dame, Ant, Jeremy Grant, Yusuf Nurkic, and Josh Hart, okay? The two other guys that are more of question marks, but I think you could lump them in there if you want, is Nasir Little and Gary Payton II for different reasons. Gary Payton II. You second, forgot Drew you know. Eubanks. Well, I don't I don't put Drew Eubanks in that category. <laughs> um, Drew Eubanks <laughs> is below that category for me. Uh, you got seven high-level reliable rotation players, in my opinion. If you trade Josh Hart you need to get back two high-level rotation players that you can rely on because the thing is this team needs to add those so it's like if you're giving up josh hart in a trade how are you adding those because you're giving one up which means you got to bring in at least two in order to add in terms of high-level rotation players and i just don't i my gut feeling says they're going to do some trade where they trade josh hart for two worse players and that doesn't make the team better.
1: I 100% agree with you. That's exactly what I was going to say is that they're going to trade for two guys and the because there will be a little less money, and so they're a little less below the tax line because you're right. like You can't get two high-level role players for one high-level role player. So like, I think it's possible, but I don't think that the Blazers want to bring Josh Hart back because I don't think they're going to want to re-sign him for the money he gets after they re-sign a Jerby Grant. Like I just don't think they have enough money. I don't think they want to do that. Um, so I agree with you. I, and that's why I think in my gut, I think it's 50, 50 that they don't even trade him because they're going to ask for a lot more and they're just not going to be able to get it on the trade market of what they want. So I, I, that's why I think I'm afraid, I'm afraid that they do nothing, but I do think if I had to make a prediction, they do trade him and they don't get anything of sta like of substantial, like value back for him. It's basically just a dump because you're not going to resign him.
0: Yep. Um, my more optimistic prediction would be they find a way to get Cam Johnson or Jared Vanderbilt. That's my more optimistic, uh, prediction. I don't know how, but it would probably include trading Josh Hart. Would you say that's the high end, like potential trade? Cam Johnson is the high end. I think Vanderbilt's a little overrated, He's very limited he's overrated because everyone says he's underrated that's the problem yeah well like stuff I read out of Utah is that he's very matchup dependent he can be great if the matchup in the style of game fits him well but if it doesn't he's incredibly mediocre that's what I've read out of Utah it's my Ru- it's my Russell Westbrook
1: theory back in the day with with Westbrook everyone would love Kevin Durant. And so Westbrook was underrated. Then everyone realized Westbrook was good. And then they overrated Westbrook by saying he's so underrated. And now he sucks because he's, but now that he's overrated, he's actually somewhat underrated because he can still help a team. Same with Mike Conley, like Mike Conley had the same thing. He was always the guy that was never an all-star. And so he's so underrated, but then we overrated him because everyone said he's underrated. Like, I think that's what Jared Vanderbilt is on a lesser level. Like, we're all like, yeah, this guy's awesome. He can help. How awesome is he really? Like, is he really going to help this team win a championship? No, like he's not going to help that much. He's not going to help the main teams. He's
0: a bench player. <laughs> exactly. Sure, you can exactly. probably cl- quantify quantify him as a high-level rotation player, but, I mean, I don't know. That's Jared Vanderbilt and Cam Reddish is like my gut feeling, and I don't think Vanderbilt's better than Hart is. So um, getting those two guys back for Hart. I'm not a Cam Reddish fan either. Like, a lot of fans in this fan base would love that trade. I think both guys are overrated. Cam Reddish
1: is not very good. He's been on three teams in like four years. I think that says all I need to know about
0: Cam Reddish. But he was a top 10 high school player and played with Zion in college. So people recognize the name and he just needs to end up here in Portland system. And then he'll, you know, he'll end up panning out and he'll show why he was drafted with the 10th overall pick. Just like Nick Stauskas and Mario Hazonia in the past, right? It was just wait till they get in Portland. Then they'll show you why they were a lottery pick. A top I mean, 10 pick. The, f- the more fair comparisons, Al Tori,
1: don't be rude. Al was a top 10 pick. He became solid in Portland. Mo Harkless was right outside the lottery. I believe he became solid in Portland. Don't, don't be condescending like
0: that. Al did not prove that he was worth a top 10 pick here in Portland. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> all I know is Cam Reddish, uh, Again, go to bet online. I made a lot of money betting against Kent Duke when they lost to Michigan State when they had Zion and uh, Trey Jones and Cam Reddish. So that's all I remember. Elite eight. It was great.
0: You have every segue for bet online. I feel like you could tie any conversation into bet online. I'm actually impressed with it. I I've made a lot of bets in my life, Tori. So like, <laughs> and I remember
1: the I remember the big wins. I had I had Michigan State over Duke like in all my bracket pools. I had them just bet money wise. So. I mean, I remember these things. It's, it's what I do.
0: Yeah, sometimes I worry about you, Stephen. But well, thank you. I... <laughs> but as long as you're using Bet Online,
1: you're good, right? I actually told my dad this the other night because we went to the Blazer game together. I said, you know what? I don't have a lot of like bad habits. A lot of vice. Like I'm not a big. I don't. I'm not a big drinker, smoker. I don't do those type of things. I usually don't curse that much. But I like to gamble. Like that's my one thing that I like to do. And I'm just not going to make it a big deal, you know. So hopefully, it doesn't ruin my life. Here's my.
0: Here's my mindset is if it's for an amount that makes it worth it to be more invested in a game where it's like okay well if you lose eh, at least I got at least I had fun being invested in this game I had an entertaining experience and losing was the price of the extra entertainment but then if you win then it's just gravy on top that's that's um, a good mindset to have because that's the thing, you know, we bet responsibly all that sort of things. But that's that that's the fun part about it. That's the fun part about doing bracket pools or fantasy football. If you lose, it's worth the price of the entertainment rooting for each game in March Madness or rooting for certain players over the year in fantasy football and discussing trades. Right. If you win, it's, it's just a completely awesome experience.
1: I feel like we need to do, like, uh, you know, a giant bracket pool. You guys usually do that at Blazers Uprising. We'll do sure.
0: something, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll have something. Yeah.
1: It'll be fun. I'll be on the lookout for that for sure. Um, and with that, I think we'll wrap it up there, of course. Uh, catch me on Twitter at Steven underscore VON. Catch Tory at Tory Jones YT. Uh, you can hear me every day, every literally every day, Monday, Tuesday, all the way to Sunday on 750 The Game uh at certain times i am on the radio every single day on that station i support i I appreciate all the support over there uh catch tori blazer uprise i know you guys are going to have a few announcements coming soon uh a little uh little sneak sneak peek there but uh follow me on twitter for for those
0: yeah Yeah.
1: catch tori there there'll be some blazer uprise announcements that everyone's gonna want to see and be a part of it's gonna be a good time i promise that so for my co-host tori jones I am Stephen Vaughn. I want to thank everyone for all the support and listening. And as always, come on, Blazers, do something.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform.
1: Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V
0: on YouTube.